Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, conditions apply. See website for details. This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to You Are What You Love, your window into the future of spirituality. We're going to talk to you about your life and the evolution of your soul while we bring alive the essence of eternal truth. So here is your host, the author of You Are What You Love, Waishali. Welcome to another exciting episode of You Are What You Love. I'm your hostess, Waishali, and we're joined by one of our favoriteest people in the whole world, Mr. Curtis Childs. And he's brought to us courtesy of the Swedenborg Foundation. Now, the best way for you to experience the full-on Curtis Child incident is to go to YouTube. YouTube, off the left eye. And when you go to YouTube, off the left eye, you'll see that it is sponsored by the Swedenborg Foundation. And you will see that there are tons and tons and tons of videos for you to choose from. There is definitely not a shortage of enlightening videos. And um, Curtis, we're always thrilled when you can carve out some time because we know you're an incredibly busy guy. And welcome back to the show. Um, And in addition to um, multiple shows every week on spirituality and why we're here and what to do with your love, you guys got a big event coming up that I'm really excited about. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff happening, and but I'm happy to, to make time to, to be here. I always enjoy the conversation with you and, and getting to talk to your listeners as well. So we do put out quite a lot of content because there's quite a lot to talk about in life. You know, we'll, we'll do five videos a week where we're up over 700 on the channel. And the cool thing is that all of those really don't uh, duplicate each other. There, there really is like a whole framework you can work out that, that ends up or it has for me t- touched the way I look at every single aspect of my life and for the better. So we're hoping to try to make sense of that and and make it easy for people to navigate. And so we got a couple of things going on. We're going to be we're building out a new website as we speak that should be even easier to navigate than YouTube. So you should be able to go there and find content in in, in the order of how you're interested in and how it will affect you. And then yeah, we have in June, it's the first ever hopefully annual off the left eye experience where we get to you know go in and talk about what I feel like are the most important things in people's lives. You know, the nature of our minds and how that works, you know, the nature of uh, life after death, the nature of God and divine providence and why the life in the universe is like it is, how to kind of get past the negative things that are dragging us down. And so it's, those are, those are really important topics and it's fun to get to spend half an hour or an hour with people through a video. But we were just really thinking, you know, if you really want to go, let's say, get better at a skill in your, your job, you know, you can go and, and do an, a half hour course, but really, you know, often people go on these immersive weekend retreats where they go and they just live and breathe 
whatever the skill is for a whole, for a few days in a row and come out of that so much more effective. So we want to give you that to live and breathe it, you know, for these things that are so important in life. So we're going to have a three day event the first weekend of June. Uh, you can check out Swedenborg.com for more details on that. And we're going to try to dive into these concepts and really live them and see them from all angles. Cause you know, the, the, if you're talking about some kind of spiritual truth, you know, you could you can see it from a sort of a sacred perspective, but you can also look at it from an academic perspective and you can look at it from an experiential and life philosophy perspective. And we want to do all that and more and just see if this is something that's really true about life. We should be able to see it in a bunch of areas uh, of life. So that's going to be fun. And uh, and we're looking forward to uh, to going deeper in that. Perfect. And um, I got a wide variety of questions to ask you, sweetheart. I put out the word to people that I know have been, you know, doing their own personal journey down the Emanuel Swedenborg writings rabbit hole. And um, when you're at various levels of depth of understanding and accumulation of knowledge, you have, a, you know, different levels and spectrum of questions of Q&A. So I put the word out to people I know and said, is there something you'd like more in depth on or you want a different perspective than the one that you get from me all the time or you, you just don't, there's something you don't understand or you just heard about a word, new word profanation or something and you want to know, what does this mean? So I got a wide variety of questions. And okay. um, I'm going to start with one that I, I think is, uh, we're going to cut bounce around the rabbit hole, but I'm going to try and, and, and start fairly close to the surface um, <laughs> with something that a topic I think just about everybody will be able to relate to. Um, so I'm going to give a little background for our listening audience, Curtis, because I, I know that you'll be familiar with these terms. Yeah. One of the things that um, Christianity's greatest uh, mystic, Emanuel Swedenborg, says about the spiritual world is that when you're in the spiritual world, you can see how people's minds are organized and you can see the people who love what is good and true, who value thoughtfulness for other people and the bigger picture and their minds move in a clockwise and upwards spiraling direction, like a helix, like a DNA and people who are very self-absorbed with my way or the highway, I'm more important than anything else people that are very self-centered, people that don't mind sacrificing other people to get what they want. And their minds move counterclockwise, spiral counterclockwise and downwards. So we refer to it as either clockwise people or counterclockwise people. But I just thought, listening audience, you'd like a little definition about what that means. So the question is, how can I better determine if someone around me is clockwise or counterclockwise. And this this came from a conversation, Curtis, where she was talking about why she was making, having a hard time separating from a boyfriend that on some level she knew was not right for her. But what she kept doing in her mind, and a lot of women do this, I, I find her totally guilty of being human, Curtis. This, is, this isn't a, a slam. This is like really just a good voyeurism into the classic mind. Is she kept saying, well, I've seen good things from him. So what if I'm turning my back on a basically good person? And what if I'm throwing the towel in too soon? And I got a big, you know, spectrum. He, he lied to her. He, he, he hit her. He manipulated her. He did a lot of things that 
I think are clearly counterclockwise. And she said, but she could see from time to time, she could see him do good things. And she didn't know, am I giving up on a good person or not? And I said, here's the thing, sweetheart. You never saw him do anything clockwise ever. And she said, what do you mean? I saw this good thing over here and this good thing over there. And I said, so they were isolated events in a basically counterclockwise person. And she said, right. And I said, here's the thing. Swedenborg goes into great detail about this. You could have two people standing right next to each other saying and doing the same thing. And one person is clockwise and the other one is counterclockwise. But in the outer world, it's going to look like it's the same thing. It's going to look like, well, this is a good gesture. This is altruistic when it's not. One person is doing it because they love their neighbor and the other person is doing it because they want to appear a certain way. They want to secure status, money, position. They want to convince people you can trust me and and that that's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So she never saw anything good out of him. She just saw him pretend to be good to get his manipulated end. And then she pushed back in her chair and she threw her hands up in the air and she said, so how can I better determine who around me is clockwise or counterclockwise if I can't tell from something like this? So huge setup for a question that probably won't take nearly as long as the setup, but there you go, boyfriend. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's great, um, and and it's it's something you can apply in relationships, but it's also just just how it is dealing with everybody, right? It, it it is the trying to find out, you know, am I clashing with this person because of something in me, or am I clashing in this person because of something of them, or is it just because of misunderstanding? It's just that the kind of tricky tightrope we have to walk in all of our interactions, you know, um, and. I want to start by saying is, <laughs> I don't know if this complicates it or, or makes it easier. Um, on a certain level, you never know with anyone whether, what, what their real motives are. Uh, Swedenborg says you, know, you can't make a spiritual judgment, meaning you can't claim that you know why, what really drives this person, because only the Lord actually knows that. We, we, deep down, we don't even really know ourselves exactly why we do what we do. That's the province of the Lord um, to know whether or not, that, you know, whether or not somebody's motivated by you know, these, net, these counterclockwise, as you said, things like love of power or love of status or these altruistic things like love of the neighbor. That said, obviously you run into all kinds of situations where you have to make not, maybe not spiritual judgments, but natural judgments about people. And a good way that, that I heard him describe it once is, well, you can't say to somebody like, I know you're evil. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know that, that you're evil. Like that you, but you can say, if you are in, inside, like you seem to be outside, then, then you're a problem. You know, so just coming in there with that humility and realizing that we can't sit around and, and wait for the perfect assessment of somebody because you're not going to be able to ever know that for sure. At some point you have to say, given the information that I have, mm. this is, this is what I, I, at some point you just have to make a choice because you, you can't wait and say, I'm going to know definitively. And another thing, another thing, and uh, again, I don't know if this complicates or simplifies, but in Swedenborg's worldview, in, in one way, um, you know, everybody's got, 
what you could call counterclockwise inside of. You know, we all have this inherited tendency to yeah. to be selfish. I mean, that that's not news to anyone. I mean, you you have to, you know, when you're when you're working with kids, you've got to they they do a lot of sweet things for each other, but you got to watch out because they're going to push each other and trip each other and make fun of somebody who's different and 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 it's just with adults, even myself. Like I I go on on the internet and talk about spiritual things, you know, all the time. Like, look at me. But, but you know, I still have this constantly pu- be pushing down the head of this desire to, you know, get my way, uh, be be seen as better than other people. Um, you know, all kinds of negative urges. That just stuff is always trying to pop up in everyone. And some people, the you know, the divine is able to keep it down and 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 actually have good stuff come into us instead. And other people it takes control and takes a hold. And, and yeah, you can't, you can't say is, and the last thing I'll say, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering this at all, but I'm giving you some things to think about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So uh, another thing there is, you know, something that's that's interesting about the the approach of this question is they're saying like, well, I've seen some good things come out of this person and I've seen some harmful things come out of this person. So what are they really like what's inside them? Really? And according to Swedenborg, um, you know, we are all citizens of two worlds. You know, we we have this, and this will probably come up in later questions, but we have the world that we're all, we all agree we're sitting in, the physical world. But then there is this spiritual side of life. And actually, your consciousness, while it interacts with your physical body, your consciousness, the generator of consciousness is actually your spirit. So, so we are, our consciousness, we, we are spiritual beings interfacing with the physical, which is something a lot of traditions say, but so just like you have a physical body that, that allows you to exist in this world, you've got a spiritual structure as well that allows for consciousness and allows for the survival of consciousness after death. And, and that spiritual structure is impressionable just like the physical structure is. Are, we're in the United States, we're in the middle of uh, an election cycle here, right? Where where people are always are, are, are looking around like, wait a second, who, who's trying to influence who about the election, right? In the United States, they're saying like, are there foreign countries trying to buy up social media ads? Like, because it, it's all because the belief that people are manipulatable, that we can be manipulated by our... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Surroundings by other people to believe certain things. That's why people are trying to get uh, elections to go certain ways. So spiritually as well, there's constantly these ideologies and pressures that are, are seeking to find a home in us. And you can see this in the dynamic with your own thoughts. You know, 
it, you know, you, you may have an interaction with somebody and you generally hold good feelings about that person, but then coming in is this constant refrain of like, well, think about when they did this to you and think about when they did that. And it's, you can sort of feel a campaign being waged inside you trying to get you to, 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 to feel some hostility. Right. And the same thing can go with, with good stuff as well. There are good feelings waiting there. If you just take, if you've been in conflict, but then take a breath and say, what's really important here. And I can feel sometimes this sort of like, it feels like the, when the sun comes out from behind a cloud, that sort of warmth that hits you, same kind of warmth. And then you just get this like perspective and okay, this is a small thing. I'll let this go. All this is to say that we, that there can be all kinds of things coming through us all the time. So what comes out of a person's mouth is not necessarily, it can be out of alignment with their, their dominant love. As Seaborg would call it dominant love. Like what's, we can have a love for all kinds of things. You can like some things that are harmful, some things are helpful, but we have something that we love overall, right? There's something that really drives us most deeply. And if that, let's say that that, that love that's driving us most deeply is sort of a, a narcissistic desire to have our way and, and have that all other people around us subjugated to us in some way, then if that's what's really driving us, it can be that something good fights through and gets out, but, but it doesn't mean that that's what we're choosing overall with our life energy and vice versa. Good people who are generally seem to be trying to do what's good can make mistakes and, and feel terrible about it. So people, I guess I just, I just wanted to comment that, that in the Swedenborgian worldview, um, you know, people are, are part of this much more fluid system where there's good and bad stuff trying to, move through all the time. So, you know, I wouldn't take either as an indicator too much of like, well, is there like something good that's, that's trapped in there? It's we all are constantly being sort of propositioned by the, the clockwise and the counterclockwise way of life and, and things are, are coming out in either way. So, so there's a couple of scattered thoughts on that great question. Thank you, sweetheart. I, I appreciate that. And I, I love the perspective about, um, Sometimes knowing whether the person is clockwise or counterclockwise isn't the best focus so much as being in the situation and being the best person that you can be and trusting that there's something there's something evolutionary gift there for everybody. And and yeah, right. Your your focus on being present and um, getting whatever the spiritual gift is for you is. And and your relationship with the divine and what you're doing with your mind is probably going to be where the greater takeaway is. And you can and it doesn't mean that like you can move very strongly if if you feel like you need to be setting boundaries, right? And and protecting yourself or protecting the people that you care about. That doesn't go against loving, right? We have to make this call. But it's all about, you know, you were mentioning the, the same actions can be very different depending on what's inside. So you can you can be in a state of pure love to somebody. But what you do with that love is say, look, I can't in- interact with this. I can't reinforce this negativity that's coming out of you. And I can't put myself or others at risk because that's not good. Um, so I've got to set these boundaries. And But the difference between like acting acting from love and setting boundaries and acting uh, out of uh, hatred and revenge is as Swedenborg described it. Once the person who was causing harm comes to their senses, then you're willing to re-engage. You know, you're not saying like, 
I'm going to destroy you off the face of the earth. It doesn't mean you necessarily we're going to go back and be friends again, but you don't harbor, you care, even if, even if you're not going up and, you know, interacting with them, you still care about their long-term welfare. If, that, if that's a, a distinction that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or as I like to say, you're trusting that nobody involved here can create a learning experience they don't need. Right. Um, uh, thank you. That was really, that was, that was beautiful. And I know, Jamie, I know you're listening. So if you had some questions or you wanted some uh, additional information, go ahead and feel free to text me and we'll, we'll come back around to that. The next question comes from Mindy and um, Curtis, this is a good question. I think a lot of people will be very interested in knowing what you have to say about this one. And um, this is going to have to do with correspondence. You'll probably have to get into that a little bit. Um, right. Uh, she says, um, I would love to know what Curtis has to say about the deeper meaning behind multiple references in the Bible of an angry and jealous God. She says, I know God is love. What's the meaning behind angry or jealous God? Yeah, right. Because it seems like everybody has this general sense of God is love, right? I mean, that's, and that, that to, to think of, okay, well, we're going to do this in a, in a God-fearing way generally means we're going to act from higher principles, right? But then you get into the, the Bible and it just seems like there's a lot of a really scary kind of, and, and, and in some cases, like really petty God that, that seems to be, like here you and I are, are sort of laboring over, you know, how do we, even in a difficult situation, like the first question was describing, how do we act? from a non-ego-based, you know, loving-based mindset, whereas it seems like in the Bible, God is just making snap judgments and, and taking revenge and, and all, all the things that were mentioned. So it's something we got to get past. And yes, yeah, so the, I mean, the diving into the, the text of the Bible and why is it written like it is and what kind of value can it actually hold for us? This was a pillar of Swedenborg's endeavor. And he essentially says that, you know, all of the wisdom that you can find out there that people used to be able to sort of get more directly, you know, people, you know, or, or at least you know, back before Swedenborg's day, people were able to have much more sort of immediate connection with God and, and with heaven and be able to understand things more one-on-one. -on -one. People could you know, get answers from, from nature and understanding what that was. But as we lost that, there had to be some kind of storehouse. And he says that actually the text of the Bible holds within it all these layers of meaning that equip that are, if we know how to dig through it, we, we can equip ourselves to, to follow the divine design. So with the angry God, um, Swedenborg talks uh, about how the Bible is written uh, according to correspondences or appearances. So there has to be a container for higher concepts, a shared language that they can be expressed in. If you think about why, why do we have, if we were going to say that there's a physical life that we're living now, which has all of its flaws and its limitations, right? I mean, almost everybody who's living in the world acknowledges that this is a rough place to be. And, and things seem like, they certainly don't seem like you would, you would design them from the ground up if you were all love and all truth, but we're often comforted by this vision of, well, there's a life after death or a heaven where things are more like they should be, you know? 
And, but so why, why stop off here first? And you can, because the way everything works is that there, there are stabilizing outer levels that make inner levels, uh, that, that provide conditions that allow inner levels to work. Your body would be the closest example here. So you just think about the skin and how you've got to have that skin and the skin is, uh, is, you know, external and it's rougher and, and it's, it's not doing, I mean, it does a lot of things, but it's not um, doing things of the same complexity always as some of the inner organs, but it is allowing, is allowing those organs to have that space. You know, you think about your rib cage, which is, it's just got some cool marrow in there that's doing stuff, but a lot less life per square millimeter than the, the, the organs inside. But yet, if you didn't have that rib cage protecting them, they wouldn't have a, a sense of threat. So they're all, the, all the time, there's this outer level grounding what's inner. And you can even see this levels can't sustain. You wouldn't believe how good it was, the stuff I <laughs> no, It can never be recreated. Um, no, so I was just going on and on about how outer levels, and there, there's outer levels and inner levels and everything. You know, the, that you've got to have yes. outer levels like the skin and like the, like let's say the rib cage, uh, making the, these specialized spaces that let the, the things inside live. Look at houses. You've got to have a foundation in order for the stuff above, the more complex stuff people live in, to have, uh, to, to be able to survive the freezing and thawing and the shifting of the ground that goes on. So it's the same thing with the concepts in our minds. If we're going to understand the more complex, ineffable stuff, uh, of of the spirit it's we have to have a, a language that that we're grounded in that can understand that and so that language we, we basically as we learn about the physical stuff in the physical world that is building a vocabulary that they can be responsive to spiritual world so all that is a long-winded way of saying that the stuff in the bible is using terms that we understand to describe a more complicated reality so when you have the, the God being angry, this is uh, written according to the appearance of what it feels like when you are counterclockwise and you meet up with what God is, which is love and truth. So, you know, let's say that, that I have the opinion and the belief and the way of life that, that I am, like I was describing before, I'm, I'm in this narcissistic state of mind where I believe firmly that I am superior to other people around me and I'm, I'm the one that matters. And I act in a way that trivializes and manipulates and exploits people uh, to get what I want when I want it. Okay. And that's, that's what brings me joy. And that's how I want to live my life. And that's where I go. If I come up across the truth that all those people that I've rationalized and dismissed are human beings that feel and are, and are worthy just like I am and that the harm I'm doing to them is real. And if I come across this, this uh, idea that, that what I'm doing is actually manipulative and, and bad, even though those are great, good ideas, how does that feel to me in that state? It feels, it feels like a threat, you know, a threat to my existence. So the angry God in the Bible is, is really more of this indication of you know, the journey that we go on where when we, some of the, the wake up calls that we get or, or the, the, the principles we're moving towards are opposed to certain areas in our life. And so 
we, we go from sort of seeing these at first as our enemy, like, oh, why do I have to, you know, when you're, when you're a, a, a teenager or something and you got these rules imposed on you, it's like, what, what's that all about? I, I don't get that. But then as you move, as you move into seeing why love and compassion, all those things are important, it goes from feeling like it's an angry God to realizing that it's, it's love and wisdom. So that's, that's really, even though that took forever, that's sort of a short version of it. But essentially, the, everything that the, the Lord is talking about uh, there, like jealousy and anger, is actually more of a, a commentary on the, the damage that having a counterclockwise state does to us, rather than God's attitude to us, which God's attitude is to bring love. But if we're in a counterclockwise state, we, the love can't be received. And, and so we don't have the means of healing. Uh, so anyway, that, that's, that's what I'll say about that. And, you know, that uh, th- I love the way you phrase that with the inner and the outer quality. The Bible is like a it's like a hologram. And so yeah. the whole of it is going to be in every little piece and every little piece is going to contain the whole. And when you look at a whole person, uh, you you see what uh, the outer you see their skin, if they have freckles or if they have scars or whatever. And. That may not, you may say that this is a scarred person just referring to their physical spacesuit, their packaging, when they're emotionally and psychologically not scarred people. There's just, there's there's different levels um, in a single package, like, like emotions and psyche. And, you know, I, I remember Grant Schnarr once said... Um, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The language about God being angry and jealous, you have to remember, was written by the children of Israel. And they're called the children of Israel because it was 2,000 years ago. And we should have grown a little by now. When you're a kid, yeah, you see your parents as jealous and angry when they're when they're there's something else going on. And and yeah, they they thought that way because they were 2000 years spiritually immature than we are. We should have grown some by now. It's a great the, the, the parent child metaphor is just unimpeachable. I mean, it's so good for, for situations like this. If, if the parent, not all parents act in, in a loving way towards their kids we've got to acknowledge but if if you are looking back uh, i try to do that with my daughter right but there's a lot of things especially now she's four there's a lot of things i have to say no you can't have that no you can't eat that right before bed you can't watch another show all kinds of stuff she doesn't like at all and to, right. to me to her you know in those moments 
it feels like, man, well, who is this big jerk who is just constantly denying me what I want? Yes. You know, but but it really, if I let her do all that stuff, she would be she would she would it would be such a problem because she would not she would run into so many harmful things. She wouldn't be able to sleep well. She wouldn't be healthy. Her teeth would would rot and all this stuff. And she would be, but she wouldn't be even able to comprehend why that stuff was happening or even attach it to the behaviors. So she would be trapped in a place she could never get out of, you know, that would keep getting worse. And that because it's just the state of her mind and who she is, right? That's, that's what it is to be for. You don't know what you need and you can't link between the negative things, the side effects of what you want to do and what you want to do. So that's the way it, it can be with God is that we're like, wait a second, why don't I just get A, B, and C? This is what I want. Right. Uh, and it seems like God is angry or the events that we get seem like, why, why did you let this happen when, when we just can't comprehend, you know, we will be able to someday, you know, Swedenborg talks about really, you can look back on your life and at times really see the care for you there. But when it's happening, almost never can we really get it. But that doesn't mean that there's not that love there. Really nice answer. Thank you, sweetheart. I know Mindy will get a lot out of that. Um, so I've got a couple of questions from Elliot and, uh, then we'll move on. I know Phyllis, you're in the chat room. We got some questions from you. We're going to ask, but, um, Elliot's got a really good question here, honey. And he says, um, how can I tell, or how can I know when I'm acting from my own thoughts and not those of outside spiritual influences? Okay, so that that question has to be prefaced by, and I already sort of broke the ice on Swedenborg's rabbit hole world of consciousness, right? Where I'm essentially saying that, yeah, you know, before I was alluding to the idea that we can be influenced by spiritual forces. Swedenborg, when he started to have his experiences, was very uh, was shocked initially to learn about just how uh, intertwined consciousness is. Yeah. You know, here going back to my uh, political elections example, you know, you can be, go, let's say you go to Thanksgiving, right? And you hear a relative of yours espousing some political view, right? Especially if it opposes yours, you can, you know, probably if you're aware, think like, you know what? That person is just parroting this, other, this, this larger organization, right? That I know exactly where they got that talking point. And it's, it's almost really not coming out of their mouth. It's coming out of the what they're watching on TV or looking at on the internet or whatever, you know, people have that experience. Right. And so uh, spiritual and the spiritual side of us, it can go even farther that Swedenborg would found himself realizing that we are constantly in contact with all kinds of people there, you know, people, spirits being just people who have passed away and are in that world now. Yeah. And that, that you can actually be you based on what you love, based on what motivates you, the ruling love we were talking about, you naturally gather around people there, even though you're not aware of it, who are like you, who love the same things that you love and, and that you're cultivating. And it's a, it's a, you're sort of like a node connecting to a bunch of other nodes because you have your own unique set of love. So you're connected to your, these different people in different ways. Think of it like friends on social media. You've got a bunch of different friends on social media of all kinds. And some of them you picked up a long time ago. So, but they, the, collectively, those friends sort of ter- determine what's in your newsfeed, you know, with the ones that you interact with more, populating that more. So that actually we have that in spirit. 
and to the point where the things that pop into our heads, you know, uh, can originate in, you could say, in these other people, but really I have to back up and say consciousness as a whole is like a collective human experience. So we are, we are a part of this, this vast chain where you'll have, you know, people sort of people interacting with other people and thoughts get passed and shared and they can come right through you as well. So all that is to preface, you know, how do you know, is this something that's an influence from, from outside or is it from you? And I would say that like, in a way it's, it's neither uh, because what, what's really us, Swedenborg talks about, we have an outer self, which is, you know, a lot of times equatable with ego and with, you know, just kind of this more superficial things we pick up, but then there is our inner self and the inner self is your true self. It's who you are, but it's really, if you look in a microscope, it's, it's our connection point to God and that he, he, he just in a, something I was referencing for or researching for a show we're about to put out, it says that the qualities of the inner self are the Lord's that we actually, this is where we receive our life from God and where we, we have this connection to, to what's good and true, all that coming out of the Lord. And I would say the goal is not even, for me anyway, is not, okay, what's mine and what's not mine, but how do I align myself? How do I get the love talking through me as much as possible? You know, and, and that the, you can actually, by pursuing what's good and what's true, get yourself into better and better spiritual neighborhoods where, you, you know, what's, what's coming into you and through you and what you make your own by, by grabbing it and, and, and bringing it into your life and acting on it is coming from better and better sources, which is what I, I think a lot of people strive to do anyway. I mean, we, we go out, for example, you go get an education, right? And what you're trying to do there is rather than like, I'm going to think of a bunch of facts from scratch, you're going and learning this uh, amalgamation of what all these different people in the human race have discovered over hundreds and hundreds of years about how reality works. Right. And you try to take that and transplant it into yourself. Right. And, and say, okay, now I'm and really in effect. Now, when I talk about biology, I'm speaking from all these scientists who have figured out all of these things. And that's great because that's in service of the truth. And like when I, when I'm trying to get better at my job, uh, I'll do some like, you know, just trying to brainstorm, but, but I'll often, you know, go seek out what are the best practices? What are the principles? What have people discovered, you know, and try to have that coming through me. And, and, and really, you know, spiritually, it's like we're trying to seek out what's good and what's true, you know, and try to have, try to have that be what we go for. Um, so, so all that is to say, like, you know, the goal is, you know, try, seek out really good influences, that, that, that's where we end up. But as far as like, you know, how do you know if you're tied up in negative influences that really seem to be siphoning off who you are rather than empowering? <coughs> the, more that, the more that we're wrapped up in, um, uh, Swedenborg uses words that are translated in a number of different ways. One good way is to think about it is like passions in the negative sense, like the mm. urging or craving or obsessing, those sorts of things. The, mm-hmm. the world Swedenborg describes that he got to, which is where, where he was really pretty impervious to the spirits that would always try to rile him up and manipulate him and use him um, because he really, he, he, he talked about himself being sort of nothing. He said, I, I'm nothing, you know, the, the Lord is 
is the divine love and truth is what's good. And spirits would even, he even said spirits would make fun of him and say like, what do you mean you're nothing? But what he really meant by it is like, what I want is to learn what's true and right and, and act on that, you know, and be in service of, you know, the divine doing what's right for the world. And because that was his goal, rather than his own reputation was his goal or his, his, you know, wading into fear about how his life would go because he trusted the divine, um, evil and, and negative influences and the kind that would try to ball you up and get you focused on things that are not productive. It has no foothold because how does, how does something like that get a foothold in it? Well, it always attacks or, or, or lashes on to something dysfunctional. You know, if, if or dysfunctional or vulnerable, like if, if, if I'm going to get worried about something, well, there's a couple of preconditions to that. Like if I say, Oh no, if I don't do a good job on which I always show, answering these questions, then I'm, I'm afraid of the, the outcome of that. Cause people are going to think like, well, I'm not very smart or they're going to think that I'm, I'm not good at what I sort of do <laughs> for my job, which is explaining Swedenborg <laughs> stuff. And, and so in order for me to get worried about that though, there's a couple of preconditions to that. One is that I believe that I'm not being taken care of, mm. right? That, that divine providence is not watching out for me and that, mm that I can't, and, and to put it away, you put it with Shelley, that I believe that I could create an experience that doesn't serve me, right? When, right. if instead I'm going in and saying, well, look, the point is not, the, the point is not that I've got the goal, which is I need to be seen as smart and competent and good at this particular thing. And I, and then my goal is to make sure that your listening audience thinks that way about me. And right. there's probably some people listening are like, there's no danger of that. But, um, but, but, but if that's my goal, how do I know that's a, that's a good goal? How do I know that that's what is best for me in the long run? How do I know that that's best for the people listening? Right? Because if what's coming out of my mouth isn't actually true and helpful, then it's bad for everyone to think, oh, he's so smart because then they'll follow my bad ideas. Right? So if instead I'm saying, look, I, I trust that the divine is, cares about me and loves me more than I love myself. And is thinking about my future more than I think about myself and, and knows is much more competent at setting up a happy future for me Then instead of my goal being, I'm going to come into what shall show and make sure everyone thinks I have good things to say. If instead I say, well, Hey, whatever the goal is here, you know, I hope I can, can participate in that. Cause it could be that I come in here, say things that are no good, somehow get some feedback about that. And that is a realization for me and it's a wake up call or what, or I, who knows? There's so many possibilities of how that could be useful. But mm -hmm. if I, if I am nothing in that way and that I'm open to saying, well, what, what do you think, God, what's, what's the best thing to come out of this? Then I'm free of those influences because if, if I'm going from the first goal where it's, it's am I, am I good enough or not good enough? Well, you know, how's that going to go for me? Right. First of all, I'm going to, after we hang up the phone, I'm going to ruminate on, oh, I shouldn't have said that thing. Or if I hear any, if I go look in the chat room and somebody says like, this is a waste of time, I'm, that's not, I'm not going to be able to let that go. And I, it's just a miserable clinging world, right? That is the, the spirit trying to rile me up about that because they sense this vulnerability in me. But if I'm working on saying like, hey, you know, my happiness is not going to be dependent on me having this sterling reputation. It's going to be dependent on the Lord doing what, what he needs to do in getting me into a state of mind, a clockwise state of mind that's love for the human race, then 
there's no foothold. And uh, then I can be much more assured that spirits are not and passions for things are not messing up my trajectory. It's, it's reminding me of the, the Vedic definition of enlightenment is perfect nothingness. And right. when, they, when they're talking about perfect nothingness, you need to hyphenate the word nothing. So it's no thingness. In other right. words, we're vessels. And most of us are filled up with a lot of insecurities and projections of thoughts and beliefs and limitations. We're, we're filled up with a lot of the stuff we're here to grow beyond. And the point is to empty ourselves of anything that's limited, anything we came here to grow beyond, anything that's not in service to what's good and true. And that the only way we can know who and what we really are is to allow ourselves to be a pure, full conduit to what's good and true. And that's the content. We don't have any, it's not my thoughts so much as I'm moving things out to make myself available to be fulfilled by what's good and true. And in being the best vessel of what's good and true, I'm going to find out who and what I uniquely am, because that's where it's going to be found. I love that. Perfect nothingness is a great parallel. And and that's a great description of it. And the, the, the cool thing is, um, it may sound like, oh, give up your personality, give up, right. become less, right. be happy. But Sweden, Swedenborg makes this amazing claim that, that actually, no, that the more you do that opening process that you were just describing, the yeah. more you feel like your own independent person. And the more you feel clarity, he actually is descri describing a conversation he had with spirits who were saying to him, yeah, you're nothing, so that means you don't exist. But he was saying, like, no, that, that I am finally starting to be something. Because I think it's the same thing, like, sort of Maya, you know, the, the illusion that we're trying to break out of. Yeah. Where, where b before, we just really, you think about, the, you know, when, when you were in your sort of least awakened state, in your, your most superficial state, you know, when I'm just sitting there going through all these grudges that I have and all these fears that I have and these narratives that I've written about life that aren't really attached to reality, that's when I'm nothing. You know, that's, I'm just a bunch of misconceptions. Whereas when we, we empty, do that emptying out of those and start to actually live, have the truth start to shine in, that, that is much more something. And not just conceptually, but you really feel like it. You feel like I am myself and this is now I have more clarity than I ever had. And that doesn't go away. Like God is not trying to erase us. We, we, what would be the point of doing that? Right? No, it's, it's just about freeing us and that the path towards that you're describing is actually the path where you end up the most individual and yet the most lovingly interconnected with all the other individuals. There's a, a conversation I'm, I'm, I'm recalling. You'll probably be able to pull in some greater clarity, Curtis, about Swedenborg's talking about just basically the same question you have, Elliot, about these, there's good and true thoughts coming in. There's false, deceptive, there's manipulated thoughts. And Swedenborg says, you know which thought is yours? Whichever one you claim, that's the one that's yours. So if you're focusing right. on what's good and true, you're only going to claim what's good and true. And then that's what's going to be yours. But you, whatever you are, whatever you claim. So if you have a bad thought and go, wow, I'm a terrible person, look at what I just thought, then now it's yours because you've claimed it. 
And <clears throat> yeah, that's right. And, and the more that, and the more you act on it and justify it and live, I think it's the more, yeah, it becomes you that that's, and, and think about, you know, we have these bodies, right? The physical level, what are they made out of? I mean, you are what you eat, right? <laughs> you, you take things in and slowly that the, the raw material for that all came out of other stuff, other stuff that we ingest, you know, and similarly, we form our spirits by, by what do you do the equivalent of eating, which is when something pops in, you know, you take it, claim it, uh, justify it and live by it. That's making it a part of you. But really, yeah, the, the you is you, you can be told, yeah, it, you make that you by, yeah, what, what do you, not just what pops in, it's very well said what you just were pointing out, not just what pops in, but what did you grab onto and love? You know, that, right. that's well, really a better indicator because you can have a really weird, wild stream of thoughts that you just like, what is this? But the things that we grab and, and live by, isn't that an indicator of who we are? Right. And when you remember that what you are is a vessel and a conduit, you are whatever you contain, whatever you love. Right. Um, and and right. Elliot is saying, hold your calls. We have a winner. So that rung his good and true bell. <laughs> so. Good, Thank good. you, dear Lord, for the service. He's got another really good question before we go to Phyllis's. Uh, and, and if we don't have enough time for all these, Phyllis, you'll just have to listen next time we get Curtis because we got a we got a bevy of some beauties for you, Curtis. So the next one that Elliot has, right. and this is a good one. Um, this is a, actually kind of reminds me as, of, of a quasi Buddhist question. He's saying. How do we manage pain? Pain is unavoidable. As Buddhism says, pain is unavoidable, but suffering is oftentimes uh, uh, voluntary or uh, negotiable. It's um, it's it, it's you can decide why what you're doing with your love, how much suffering you go down. Pain is unavoidable, but the suffering hole that you plunge yourself down that that that's different. So, um, and he's been going through a lot of um, uh, physical stuff, say, hip stuff. He had a mesh that put in for something that's causing a lot of soft tissue pain. So he's working with a lot of physical pain. And then, of course, on top of physical pain, we have all the other stuff that hits us. Just because you're in pain doesn't mean you don't have to pay your bills. You don't have to deal with annoying family members. You know, you don't have to deal with the CNN and you know what I mean. So anyway, yeah. optional. That was it. The word I was looking for. Suffering is optional. Thank you, Elliot. Um, so he says, how does one manage pain, the pain food of life, so it doesn't escalate into suffering? Right. Yeah. So I, I, I'll just offer a couple of thoughts because the pain is very is very real, especially in chronic things. Even as we sit here. I've been having back problems for, for quite a few months now. And I'm, as we speak in this seat, like trying to adjust and counter for that, you know, so it's, and, and that's my, mine is relatively mild compared to what a lot of people are going through. So I, I can never talk that away. I, I just want to give a couple of examples that I feel like really resonate for me on, on what has been the best medication for, for psychological and, and physical pain and all that. Yeah. Um, one of them is, is it, well, it, it short, in short, it comes down to, um, use and trust. And I'll give two examples of that. So on the use side, uh, think about the difference between the pain that you feel from some unknown condition, right? And then the pain of exercising, right? It, you, exercising can be very unpleasant and very painful, but it's, it's, 
a completely different experience because you know it's doing something good, right? That, that you know that something can come out of it. And from, you know, women I've talked to about the pain of childbirth, it's, yeah. a, it's a different kind of pain because you know, you know why and you know that it's going to be okay in the end, right? Yeah. Even if not right away. But, but so the only thing I can think of is, you know, knowing that there's this principle that Swedenborg is, is very adamant, is an eternal truth, which is that there's nothing that al- is allowed that hurts, that, good, that will not in the end contribute to our state of eternal happiness. So I don't know exactly what that means in every bit, but I do know that the situations that have been the most painful for me have been the ones that have allowed me to be the most useful. So now I get to go on and talk about the Swedenborg stuff and on our YouTube channel, we get people commenting every day, all the time, like this is about how it helped them and how it took away pain for them. And Mm -hmm. the things that it was my most painful states of depression and, and everything else I had that really allowed me to understand things to the point where I can usefully communicate them. Like for me, I can see, well, like that, what was just seemed like at the time when I was in it, just useless and ongoing and, and, and just soul crushing. Now I see like, wow, look at the good that seems to be coming out of that now. So if I can take any bit of that and apply it to the pain that I go through day to day and think, okay, (laughs) I'm going to live in the trust that this is going to go, this is going to do something good eventually. That's one thing. And then, and, and to sort of, and, and sort of bank on that, and this is a, like a really silly example, but I was struck one time, like I, I can sometimes get very wrapped up in sports, you know, and I think like a bas- it really just basketball. And I, and I sort of assign it like, Oh, this has got, this team has got to win because I feel like the people on that team are good people. And if they lose, it's going to be, so I, I would sometimes get really into basketball and I'm like, Oh, watching it. And it's really grabbing me. And it's really painful when the thing that I think should happen doesn't happen. Mm. Um, and when, and like the feeling of, um, like when, when the other team scores a couple of, or goes on a little run, scores seven points in a row and how much that hits me, you know? But then I, I remember this one time watching a rerun of a game that I knew turned out well, like I knew that the team I wanted won in the end. And the, that same run, when I came to that same point where they went on the seven point run and, and the team I liked went down, didn't, didn't hurt at all, you know? because I knew it's going to be okay in the end. Right. And that's a very shallow example for that. But if we're cultivating this idea that in the end, Providence is going to lead us to happiness, um, there can be an edge taken off and neither of these are going to take it all the way because it's just too hard for me anyway, to block it all out. But those two, the idea that just to to assert like, okay, this is doing something good, even if I don't see it yet. And Mm -hmm. that in the end, this is going to be okay. And actually, I'm going to have a depth of happiness that's greater because of this. Because you think about the worst suffering that you've been in, you know, think about how that does expand your ability to be comforted and to have joy and to help others just to know, okay, look, even though I don't get this now, in the end, I'm going to be happier from this. Uh, Those would be my two best ideas about how to mitigate the the pain that we all go through. But again, yeah, nothing's going to take it all away. Um, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, you know what you were sharing about the basketball game and such. Um, I'm kind of known as the um, the uh, future killjoy in the respect that when people come up to me and say, 
Who do you think is going to win the stupid bowl? Who do you think is going to get the Academy Award? <laughs> Who do you think is going to yeah. win uh, the election? I'll just turn to him and say, whoever needs it for enlightenment or whoever God can use for the highest and greatest good, that's who's going to win. Next question. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that that's ultimately the bottom line is who's going to win, whoever needs it for enlightenment, whoever God can use to create the greatest good. That's who's going to win. It's, it's right. not who has the most talent. It's not a, it's not anything other than what is serving our growth in the spiritual world, because that is the underlying substance and nature of reality. Um, and if we you, probably if you got, think about. Go ahead, sweetheart. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Say that if you think about if you think about, yeah, me sitting there cheering on that game, because I think like, OK, well, this is what these people need, because for some reason I feel like, oh, the people on this team are good and they need to have this win. I don't know what winning would do to their state. Maybe it would make them more selfish. You right. know, I don't know. I don't really know what's the, if the other team would be better. I don't know all the other millions of people watching that game and what it's going to do for them. I don't know what their respective is. I don't know. I don't know what's really good. It, it, the thing that's causing me pain is the illusion that I think I know what's good when really only God understands the full picture. And, and the more we cling to our grip of what reality is, the more our suffering escalates. And you're right. And the way that the divine lines it up from everybody who voted to everybody who bet on this illegally or legally on this player, all of it, they're, everybody involved is getting what they need. And only something yeah. that is the underlying substance and nature of all reality could pull that off without, without breaking a sweat. And we've yep. got a, like a, just a hair over a minute. So I want to remind everyone that you've been listening to Curtis Childs. He was brought to us courtesy of the Swedenborg Foundation. He's got a YouTube channel. You want to go to YouTube forward slash off the left eye, E-Y-E. And um, uh, Curtis, next week when we come, we've got a, a question from a uh, a hospice worker. He's noticed some things that when people are dying, they seem to be talking and reaching out and touching people that no one else in the room can see. And he wants you to answer the question, if Swedenborg were here, how would he explain to the family members what's going on to this dying person? We've got other questions about, do we have, uh, really do we have spirit guides and angels or are we just attached to some community? How does that work? So next time you come, we're going to pick your brains for some more good and true stuff. Please give our love to everybody at Off the Left Eye. And thank you so much for your time and your service, sweetheart. I will do. Thanks for having me. And until we do it again next week, rock on, babies. You've been listening to You Are What You Love with author Waishali. To order Waishali's book, You Are What You Love, or to schedule a private self-emergent session with Waishali, visit youarewhatyoulove.com. Thanks for joining us, and remember, you are what you love, and you love whatever you give your attention to. So love wisely.